welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Schell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. In talking with with people, in talking with other pastors, I have encountered people as of late who are in some very serious depression. I've, I've dealt with some people who are as, as seriously depressed as anything I've seen. And so I want to talk to you about dealing with depression. I have 15 points. I will not preach 15 points. I'm going to preach one today. Today I want to talk about really the one thing that God did that delivered me. Depression is not just having the blues. Depression isn't being grumpy. It isn't feeling tired. Depression is, 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 a, is a whole level beyond that. It goes much deeper. You can actually feel something take over in depression. It's like a blanket going over you. It's a smothering feeling. It's like a gripping around the head. Something comes over that becomes bigger than you are and you're out of control. People that haven't been depressed don't understand that. You think we're just negative. That when we have those kinds of feelings that we just need to, uh, uh, we need to remember, you know, it says, doesn't it say the word in the word, rejoice always, again I say rejoice, and you give them a kick in the pants and say, come on, let's go. And you'd like people to just snap out of it. You try talking them out of it, reasoning them out of it, saying, come on, look at the good things here. What you need to know is that depression actually affects all three of our, our parts, our body, our soul, and our spirit. There are, I think, physical reasons and physical things involved in depression. There are soulish areas, parts of our personality, of our heart, and in fact, that's what I'm going to focus on today in a minute. But you need to know that there actually is a demonic influence that will come in on true depression. I don't know how else to say that. There's no euphemism I can think of. You know, you've felt it in areas, haven't you, maybe of temper? Some of you struggle with temper and you're, 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 you're angry and you're doing... But all of a sudden that thing downshifts and you feel a rage come over you and you begin to say things and do things that it's like you're standing there watching yourself do it. You can't believe this is coming out of you. Something has shifted into gear that goes beyond you. There is actually a spirit that has now come in. See. The enemy comes in, it's, I, I, in my mind, I picture it like a candle that's burning. I've got a problem, I've got, uh, there's an issue in my life, a broken thing or a whatever. But the enemy comes in, throws gas on it, and poof, it suddenly explodes into something much more. So there is a, a natural brokenness, or there's a problem in my life that I can't just blame on demons. And see, that's the problem. A lot of people say, well, we just cast this thing out. No, you can get rid of the, the demonic influence, but you still have to deal with the issue. The wound is still there. And if you don't attend to it, it's just like a raw wound. And the Bible calls the devil in the New Testament Beelzebub. 
It means Lord of the Flies. And I really think demons function like flies. They're garbage flies. And what happens is where there's a wound in us, that thing will settle. And then you can brush it away. And it comes right on back. You know how flies are? You just keep brushing that thing away. Get out of here. It just keeps coming back as long as the wound is there. And so when we pray for you, we can break that demonic thing and bring relief. But until the soul is healed, until the other issues are attended to, you still are prone to depression. Everything isn't demonic in this, but a demonic layer comes in and you begin to have a control that's bigger than you. That's why you can't just talk somebody out of a depression. That's why you can't reason with them. You can't talk them out of depression anymore. You can talk a drunk out of their, their, their drunk. Because you, you know when they're drunk, they're gone. You're not talking to them anymore. You have to wait for them to sober up to deal with them. And you have to, uh, you can't reason with a person who's caught in depression. Uh, there is some reality therapy. I've had a few of those kind of talks from my wife, you know, that goes, thank you, I needed that, you know, and, and it, it helps. I want to describe to you how, what depression, how it manifested in me, and I need to put a disclaimer here. I am not a doctor. I do not have medical training in this. I am not a mental health worker. And so what I'm going to share with you is simply out of my own experience. I'm going to tell you what God has taught me and what he did for me. And I don't know all of the other ramifications. Because you see, I had depression on and off from the time I was in high school until I was 43 years old. And it got worse with time. I had it a little bit when I was younger, and it would here and there sporadically. But as I got older, it began to grip in more and more solidly until probably the last three years I had it, I had it virtually continually. I don't mean the blues, and I don't mean grumpy. I mean I had that awful blanket over me, that smothering feeling, the, the, the lead weight in your belly. You know what I'm talking about? It's like you're carrying, like you swallowed a cannonball and you can't get rid of the thing. And I lived like that. I ministered as a pastor like that, and God saved people and did wonderful things. I wasn't a phony, I was hurt. So what I share is, is, is how he healed me and what he did for me. And as I, I will in other points talk about some of the physical issues. But the point I really want to get through to you today is that God can heal depression. And you may have been told by a doctor that you're simply chemically you know, wired like this and there is no hope for you and you've just got to stay good and looped the rest of your life and that's the only way. That's not true. Now, I don't know if he healed me physically as part of this or what, but I want you to know that he broke it instantly. And I have not had one moment, not one hour, not one day of depression since. And that was almost, we're on our way to five years. I mean, I was in absolutely constant depression to the point that if I felt good, you felt guilty. Like there's got to be something I should be worried about. You know, what am I doing here? There's, there's, there's problems and I've forgotten where they were. And I would almost, it's almost like, you know, if you have a tooth missing, your tongue just goes and finds that hole. I just go look for problems. Because I've got to get back in my hole here. I've got to get back in that depression where, I've, where I'm used to living. 
Well, when I was depressed, I was weak, I was tired, I was frightened. I would have anxiety and worry, and I couldn't always tell you why. Sometime I was just a problem looking for a reason. I'd play sort of pin the tail on the donkey. Uh, I didn't know why I was upset or why I felt so miserable, but I'm going to find a reason. And so I'm just like, you know, walking around blindfolded, going to pin this tail. I'm going to find the reason. That's my wife. That's what the problem is. Or, no, no, it's the ministry. Or it's, it's where I'm living. Or it's my haircut today. Or it's, I would find a reason and I would blame. There had to be a reason I felt so awful. You're very dangerous when you're like that. You usually are wrong. Like doctors say, when we self-diagnose ourselves, almost always we're wrong. Well, you're wrong in this too. And probably you spend your time blaming the wrong thing entirely for your feelings. And so you're hammering away at people and situations. It isn't their fault at all. That isn't the cause. Well, I'd feel like that. And then when I was in that, I'd, 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 I'd feel a mountain of things building that I should be doing. And yet I had no energy to do them. I, I, I became unable to function well at all, just the minimal things. And yet the duties I had and the things that ought to be done just kept building. And so I'd feel this pile of stuff I ought to get done, to, and yet I had no energy in me to do them. And so I'd fall farther and farther behind. I would spend my time focusing on where I went wrong in the past, quite a bit of it. I'd look over my past life and I'd say, where did, how did I get myself into such pain? How did I get myself into this mess? And I'd look at my choices and I'd look at my decisions of my past life and I'd pick over them and scrutinize everything I did. And I'd say, if I, I, I must have made some terrible mistakes here to get myself there. And I'd begin to speculate about my decisions and why didn't I do that and why didn't I do that? And then I began to beat myself. You fool, you idiot. Why'd you do that? Now the result of that, of course, is with a track record like I had decided I had, what hope did I have for the future? How could I possibly expect to make any good choices given all of the, the mess I'd brought myself to now? And so my future went sour in my heart and I became despairing. I would often focus on something I said or did that would cause people to disrespect me. I would feel like I was a fool. And in my business, of standing up and preaching, man, was I vulnerable. I'd get up and I could have had a pretty good sermon. But on the way home, and I could just feel that thing follow me home. On the way home, I'd begin to think, now what did I say that was dumb? And I'd find something. You know that. I'd find something, and then I'd focus on it. And that would be the thing that would just overwhelm me, the negative. See, 99% could have been fine. But I'd find what was wrong and I would focus on it and allow it to set my mood, allow it to, to define me. This is who I was. I was a fool and they were going to find it out. And I'd, I'd, I'd let my stupidity show through that dumb thing I said or did. And sooner or later they were going to leave me because I, I knew they wouldn't like me when they figured it out. I would go home at frequently. You know, what a job. I go home, I preach, and I'm, I was sincere, and the Lord would work. And then I'd go home, and this thing would follow me on the way home, and I'd get into, I'd get into bed, cover my head, just wish I were dead. I 
I knew one woman. She was a beautiful woman. And one day she came, she said, I just, I'm so ugly. I said, what do you mean? What's your, you're not ugly? She said, yeah, my ears aren't even. <laughs> and I had to... <laughs> well, you're right. I had never at all seen that her ears were just a little, a little, one was higher than the other one. I mean, not by much. We're not talking about, you know, this. We're just, I'm, this is just, just, I mean, just a little bit. And I said, well, you're right. I never noticed. Nobody would have noticed. Do you know what she saw when she looked in the mirror? Ears. That's all she saw. She defined her whole appearance. She, defied, she, she, was, she was just absolutely convinced she was ugly. Because look at those ears. The devil does that. The devil will come in and he'll show you what's wrong. And he'll just have you focus on it. And that becomes your def definition. That's who you are. You're that mistake. You're that part of you that's not perfect. It's part of that whole depression thing. I could focus on my helplessness to stop a certain behavior. Compulsive behavior is very depressing, whether it be smoking cigarettes, drinking, whether it be sexual things, whether it be temper, whether it be your speech. Whenever you're out of control, you'll try to stop. And then when you can't stop, you suddenly realize you're a slave to this thing. And again, the devil will say, and you always will be. And it becomes terribly depressing. You're out of control. You are hopelessly given over to this thing. And then with all of that, I would have scenarios of my future. I would think, well, if this is where I am, what's my future? And I would grow despairing and not want to live. I am going to talk to you about one thing the Lord did. Because this was the, this was the point at which he finally released me. I said I have 15 things that I suggest as dealing with depression. But this is the one that for me personally, and I think there can be, there, there's widely different reasons, but for me personally, this is what the Lord used to heal me. And my point is, we have to trade in our expectations for ourselves or others' expectations placed upon us for God's. There has to be a trade of the expectations we have for ourselves for God's. Because when we try to live up to these expectations, we're in this performance mentality trying to climb a very slippery slope. And you'll find it's a, it's a hard taskmaster. You'll never be good enough. Not for the other person you're trying to please, or for yourself, regardless wherever that kind of thing is. I would say to the Lord, Lord, I give my life to you. I want to serve you. And I would say it with my lips and I would mean it with my head. I was not a hypocrite. But inside me, I had a gripping fear that if I let go, that God would somehow ruin me. That if I let go, he, he would, I don't know what he would do, but that this thing inside, and you could just feel it. With, I had someone come up for the ministry. He said, it's almost like someone standing beside me. She said, I have a, a driven quality. And it's almost like there's someone there with me. And this driven thing would press me so that I was continually, continually unhappy. 
I think men and women are different a little bit, though I, I find they actually overlaps. Men, we often, we can get depressed, we can get self-destructive. But I don't know that I've ever met a man that I didn't think loved himself. Bottom line. Usually we're ticked off that the world doesn't realize what a gem they have here. <laughs> Isn't it true? I, I mean, we're angry. I mean, to the point sometimes of wanting to take our own lives. But it's like, this isn't fair, you know. Somehow the world has missed discovering what they have here. Whereas with women, I do believe that I have seen their ability, some, some women have actually come to the point where they deeply agree with whoever is condemning them that they really are junk, that they really ought not to be. Women can actually, you can extinguish their desire to be alive. They, they will agree with you they ought to be dead. It's really, a, it, I have not think I've ever seen that in a man, but I have seen that in a woman. I was uh, standing in a buffet line for a Christmas banquet for the division of Central Arizona churches, and the couple in front of me uh, pastored in the church in the next town to us. You know how you stand there with your paper plate and you sort of sidestep your way to the Swedish meatballs. <laughs> we were doing that. And we are just talking in the line. And I said to her, well, how's it going? And she said, well, it's just fine. Uh, I knew her, the church, they'd been there a number of years and, and it had not grown. They were struggling. And somehow in the conversation she said to me, you know, I have decided that a successful life is living each day for Jesus. Now I have to tell you, what I, when I heard that, I said inside myself, that's just a woman rationalizing their failure. She's, got a, she's grasping at straws. The church has gone down and she's got to come up with something. Even as I thought that, I thought, that's sick, Steve. <laughs> and it is, is it not? <laughs> I mean, it is sick. And then I'll tell you what hit me like a ton of bricks. I looked at this woman and I could tell she meant what she had just said. And I could tell that she was in the light and I was in the dark. Because I did not feel that way. I had to climb this slope, man. I had to somehow prove God I was worthy of something. I don't know who I was answering to. I, to this day, can't tell you who I was try I'm trying to please. But I was going to perform. I was going to accomplish. And, I, and I, there was this deep fear that if I didn't, I would slide down that slope into the slag heap of humanity. I'd be, I'd be junk. And it wasn't like... There was no middle ground. It was either you were a human being or you were junk. And, and inside myself, I'm just trying to stay out of that second category. And I looked at her and I saw she meant it. And it just went into my heart like a knife. Because I remember as a new believer, back in the, you know, and I remember the years in the Jesus movement, we just loved him. We, you know, there was no agenda. We were trying to build anything or accomplish anything. We just loved him and walked with Jesus today. And that was fresh and alive. And I looked at her and I could tell she was in that place like a new believer. Four or five months later, either April or May, I don't remember, 
I was lying on the bed in my bedroom, the blinds closed, the door closed, I'm in depression. I'm in a good one. Kids don't come into the room, and daddy's in there and he's like that. My children grew up with that drunk, with daddy in the bedroom, depressed. By the way, you can ask them if I'm different now. You want to confirm what I'm going to tell you, you just ask my children. My wife says it's like I'm born again. And I'm lying on the bed, and I'm in this, and the Lord saw, just came to me. I didn't do anything. You see, I can't tell you five steps to, to, to getting rid of depression. You need to know that it will take an absolute miracle to free you. But you also need to know God is absolutely committed to such a miracle. And that God alone can heal you. You can't change your own heart. No one else can change your heart. God alone can, can cut this stuff out of our hearts. In Colossians, Paul says that the Lord circumcises our hearts with a circumcision made without hands. And that phrase, made without hands, is a Hebraism, meaning God alone. No human agency involved of any kind. God will sovereignly change the heart. And I want to testify that's true. And He alone can do it. So there is no way that I can say, do this, this, and this, and you're fixed. Nonsense. That's what, anybody tells you that, they're out, at, out to lunch. But there I was, and he came to me. And he said to me, you don't want to live anymore, do you? I said, no, sir, I don't. Now, I was not suicidal. I'd gone through suicide a decade before. Suicide is the early stuff. It's the early tantrums. Most of us look at this thing and say, I can't kill myself. I've got to live. I mean, my kids need me, my wife needs me, my family needs me. What would it look for God? I, I can't do this. And so we stoically decide, well, that's not an option. And then we just turn and say, then I'll live out the days I have. There is no joy in it. I don't want to live. I simply wake up, brush my teeth, and go through the actions. And I was like that. Though when I would worship, he would be there. He was not far from me. He never left me in this. God did not abandon me. But there was this broken thing inside I could not get rid of. I couldn't let go. And he said, uh, You don't want to live. I said, No, sir, I don't. And then he said the funniest thing. He said, You know, there's still... You've still got a lot, there's still a lot of life left. It's a pity to waste a perfectly good human being. It's like there's 50,000 miles left on this thing, you know. Why sell it now? And he said, since you're not enjoying living for yourself, and I did get the point. Now, I'm a, I was not trying to live for myself. In my head and my heart, I was intending to live for God. But he and I both knew I had a grip inside. And he said, since you're not enjoying living for yourself, why don't you just give me what's left of your life? And I'll use it any way I see fit. He was, it's as though he said, you'll just be a coin in my pocket. I'll spend you as I wish on whatever I, I, I wish to spend you on. And there was no promise of any greatness or anything wonderful. It was just sort of like, I could, I'll find a use for you. 
And the picture that came to my mind was out of the, the movie Fantasia, where Mickey Mouse has that hat on his head in the little broom. If you've seen the thing, and he's sweeping the water. And it was though I was going to be, and then the verse came out of Psalms, where, where David said, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than dwell in the tents of the wicked. And I felt I was being invited to simply be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. I was not being offered anything, but that the Lord now would simply use me at His discretion. And I felt any sense of career dying, any sense of goals dying, any sense, he was, he was saying to me, I'll offer you nothing. I owe you nothing. Just, you give me the pieces of your life and we'll do something with them. We'll see, we can find something for it. I remember that woman in standing in the, the buffet line and I said, Lord, I would like to ask one thing. I would like you to give me the privilege of just ministering somehow for you to one person each day. If I could just do that, I would have meaning. He said, all right. And then I figured this had to do with me living in Arizona the rest of my life. See, I don't like heat, and I, I had wanted out of there. And I had tried to get out of there, and I'd had opportunities to get out of there. I got offered one church eight times in San Diego. And he wouldn't let me go. And so I said, you know, I think you've kept me here. And I want you to know, if you want me in Arizona, I will stay here the rest of my life. And I added this, and I will be a happy camper. <laughs> I didn't know how else to say it. You know, I thought I was gonna. I mean, that was just, I just, I was just dying to everything. That was a hard place we were pastoring, and I figured that's the end of anything. But you know, I, if, if I simply will focus on ministering to whoever he will let me minister to, if it's one person, I will somehow invest myself for his glory. My glory, my ambitions, my career are dead, but I will live for him. I want you to know, that depression broke that instant, and I have not had one second since then. It's frightening though, isn't it? You know, you, you, when you're going into this thing, you think he's going to pull the slats out from under you. You think he's going to drop you through. There's a fear that goes on. There's a little voice that'll say, don't let him do it. Don't let him do it. He'll ruin you. He'll ruin you. You need that ambition. You need that drive. It's part of your energy. So when I let that thing go, I felt like I, 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 can't, I can't emphasize. It was a terrifying moment. I, but I hurt so bad. See, you say, why does it take God so long? It doesn't take God so long. It took him five seconds. It took me so long to get to the place where I was fed up with my, the pain in me. I was ready, finally, I could let go. And I opened my heart and I let him have it. You know what happens? Generally, he simply, he, he then gives you the desires of your heart. <laughs> I mean, but now, I need to tell you this, once he's finished with you, the sweet, sick kind of lust thing that used to really feed on your thing is gone. I loved to live in Washington. I wanted to live in pine trees and rain. I missed it so bad I'd dream about it and I'd think about it. Once he broke this thing, 
I don't care where I live. Now I'm back here and I'm in the pine trees and rain. And I like it. I like it. But you know, I don't feed off it like I used to. I used to just, oh yes, you know, and there was just kind of this, you know, this synergism between me and the trees. That's all gone. It's gone. He could move me to Arizona. I don't care. I don't care where I live anymore. I used to, my mood would go up and down with the attendance of the church. What are, what are my new expectations? To simply touch somebody for Jesus today. Do you know it stills there? The Lord, the Lord has by His leadership. What you do is you give up the drive and you give up the inner expectations and you now respond to a different voice. You now simply walk with the Lord and the Lord will tell you and you walk by faith by what He tells you. Your new standard is simply to obey your Lord. A woman came up just, just before this service and was asking for prayer. She said, I'm a strong, driven woman. I'm successful and I'm driven. And I said, do you have any Sabbath in your life? Do you go anywhere where you get quiet with him? She said, no, I, I just don't have time. And I said, it was, I know the Lord was speaking. I said, you've got to start there. You've got to start in a quiet place where you can have a sweet relationship with him. You've got to be able to hear him and feel his love. And out of that begin, will flow the rest of your life with him. Do you see what you're trading? You're trading in the expectations of these other people, of your parents, of your husband, of your wife, of your boss, of whoever it is you're trying to, trying to dance for. You're trading in the inner drives and inner expectations that say, unless you do this, you're junk. You're trading that thing in. What are you trading it for? The voice of the Lord and faith. And that's no slave master. That's a father training a child. And so now, my expectation level, even to this day, is just what he put in my heart. So now I got all of this church and all of these people. You need to know, I don't care. I mean, I'm thrilled that you're finding the Lord and that things are happening. That blesses me, but you're, to me, a lot of work. And if, and if he took it away, I, could care. I don't care personally. I care if I ruined something he was doing, I would care badly. If... if I would care if he stopped ministering life to people. But do I feed off it anymore? Not at all. Not at all. It's just a lot of work. Jesus says, he who seeks to save his life will lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake will find it and that life eternal. Are you willing to lie down on the table and let this great surgeon Cut this out of your heart. Cut out the expectations that others have placed there, that you've put on yourself, the drives and the fears and the things that the devil will tell you that those are vital to your motivation, that those are what keep you alive and aggressive, and that if you will remove those things, you'll become a sack of slush and worthless. You've heard that voice, haven't you? It's a lie. It's a lie. What will, it re what will replace it? the voice of the Holy Spirit and you walking by faith. And by faith, you can run through a troop, you can jump over a wall, you can bend a bow of bronze. You're going to find that in faith, in this new walk with God, as He leads you in His plan for you, not your ambitions, great things will come out of you that never could have happened. You're trading in a pot of, of, of soup 
for your inheritance. So who wants heart surgery? There's a lot of things that have to do with depression, but one of them is these driving expectations that can be in us. And I want you to know this, God can heal you. God can deliver you. God can reach into your heart and cut the cord of that thing and free you. I never thought it could happen to me. I was 30 years with this thing. And very few of you are that stubborn. I was enormously stubborn. And change yours. Would you stand with me? Praise the Lord. Lord, we say right up front, we know we can't change our own heart. Even, if, even when we know these things are there, we can't change it. But we're confessing today, we're opening our heart to you to say we know you can. You can heal our heart. You can cut us free. And may your grace be upon us that we can trust you. Lord, we're full of fear. The devil's telling us all sorts of things about what you'll do to us. But would you give us the faith today to let go and, say, and invite you into our heart? We can't make you change our heart. We can't change it ourselves. But we can say, would you come in and take the expectations and the drives and the fears that control us? And we let go of them. Come, Lord, do your surgery. And put instead there the voice of the Holy Spirit. Put instead there the gift of faith. That we would respond to you in obedience to you. And put in there the goal and the desire to glorify Jesus Christ, not ourselves. For, Lord, that's life abundant. And I pray for that grace. And right now, any brother or sister that's trapped in, in depression, or dealing with this in the name and authority of Jesus Christ, we see that spirit upon you removed in the name of the Lord. And may the Lord give you grace and anointing. May the Lord comfort you right now and fill you with his Holy Spirit. And may the Lord, your surgeon, your father, your dear friend, May he walk you out of that. We as a church just lay hold with you that he will walk you out of this valley and give you your inheritance and release you in your calling and bless you beyond your imagination. In the name of Jesus Christ, we believe for you. And if you agree with me, would you say amen? Amen. amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.